Good morning. I'm very happy to share the Word of God with you today. And before we pray, I want to thank you on behalf of my family for making us part of this church family. Since we got here last year, we have felt uh, so welcomed and loved. So I wanted to say that now that I can say it to everyone on video. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you because you are present with us here today. Thank you because we can come to you with the confidence that you are hearing our prayers and that you are willing to speak to us today. I ask you, Lord, to bless this message today, to bless your word. And despite of myself and my broken English, you would speak to us in powerful ways today. In Christ, amen. My son Miguel Angel is in that age when children start to lose their teeth more frequently. Last week, after he ate a cookie, one of his frontal teeth became very loose. So every time this happens, I help him to get his tooth removed. But this time he was very scared. I reminded him of how every time he has uh, loosened teeth, I help him, and it's painless. But he was very, very scared of feeling pain. Loida, my wife, told him that he could trust me, that every time this had happened, I have never hurt him. But still, he refused. Later that day, before we went to bed, I insisted again because I was seeing how much he was struggling and how uncomfortable it was for him. But still he was refusing, so to try to push him a little, I said, okay, so the problem here is that you don't trust me. So if you don't trust me, um, I won't insist anymore. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, Dad, I trust you. I really trust you, but I am too scared. So I looked at him and said, it's okay, son. We will try again later. Have you ever been in that same situation with God? I have. Sometimes it's hard to trust God when we, fear, when we feel fear, when we are facing situations that terrify us, situations that make us doubt, situations that are way uh, out of our control. And even if we know the truths about God that we have learned in his word or at church, or through preachings, or through our daily walk with God, we sometimes struggle to advance from affirming things to actually believing those things. We struggle to believe that God is active and in control, and that He is taking care of us. I believe that Psalm 46 teaches us some principles that can help us build a radical trust in God, a kind of trust that gets stronger every day and that 
<clears throat> cannot be easily shaken. Now, we don't know the specific context of this psalm, but as, but as we go through the verses, we can see that there are very terrifying things going on. In verses 2 and 3, we read that it is describing something like a natural disaster. Though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake in their surging. This is a description of destruction, like the world going into chaos, like the world going and falling apart. And there's another description we find in verses 6 to 9. It's the description of war. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Both of, both of these situations are very frightening situations. If we have not experienced personally a natural disaster or a war, it's a little difficult for us to identify with, with what is happening here. But these situations or situations like these are happening today all over the world, even on a daily basis. But even if you have not experienced something like this, I am sure that you have experienced frightening or terror. Fear of being alone, fear of, of being infected by COVID-19, fear of losing somebody you love, fear of losing your job, fear of being dependent on other person, and fear of losing control of your life. But amid these situations of crisis, the psalmists make a series of affirmations about God that, as we will see, have historical foundation. In the midst of the crisis, he says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. And verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you be able to make these same affirmations in a similar situations of crisis? Now, the reason why I want to highlight that several of these affirmations have historic, historical foundation is that I believe that the psalmist intended that every time the Israelites mentioned these words, whether they were singing or reciting these words in liturgy, these words would help them remember what God already had done in the past. It would help them to remember that God does not change and that they would be able to trust him again. So the effect on those who read or he heard these words would be trusting God. This key of interpretation should be taken into account every time we read scripture. The biblical author was not only narrating something, he wanted something to occur in his audience that 
our faith would be affirmed, that we repent, that we believe that we are, we were, are consoled, that we have hope that we are transformed. This is why the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is alive and active. Going back to Psalm 46, I have mentioned that the psalmist want the Israelites to remember something that God has done in the past. A specific event. And that event that the psalmist wants the Israelites to remember is precisely the Exodus. The, we can see this particularly uh, with uh, regarding to some allusions that the psalmist makes in relation with uh, chapter 14 of Exodus. In verse 5 of Psalm 46, we read that it says, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her, help her at break of day. And please pay attention to this expression, break of day. Then, in chapter 14 of Exodus, especially in verses 24 to 27, we find the same expression. And the context of these um, verses we're going to read is that the people of Israel are running away from the Egyptians. And they are now crossing uh, across the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are running behind them. Let's read from verse 26. Then the Lord said, said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back to the Egyptians and the, their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at the daybreak, it's the similar expression, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward, toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. So we can see that there is a relationship because, between these texts, a relation between the acting of God in this specific time of the day, in the morning. These expressions are written differently in English, but they are the same in Hebrew. But there is another very important uh, allusion. Let's go back to Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I, I will be exalted in the earth. In the same chapter, in chapter 14 of Exodus, before crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites were terrified complaining um, before Moses. And let's see verse 11 of chapter 14 in Exodus. They said to, said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us to, out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. 
the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still and know that I am God. This is a powerful invitation. Psalm 46 here is inviting us to respond in faith, saying and believing we will not fear because we remember what God has done in the past, the God of Jacob, and we know who he is, and we know he is with us. But how can we do that? How do we go? How can we shift from being terrified and complaining to actually trust God? How can we say God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear? And say this not just as trying to convince ourselves or as a positive declaration, but actually believing this is true? If you are dealing with some of these questions, or you're dealing with fear and anxiety, let me share with you some ways so we can build uh, the radical trust God is inviting us to have through this psalm. Point number one. Remember what God has done. It is not the first time that the people of Israel faced crisis. Rather, they had enough stories to tell about the moments of crisis when God had rescued them, freed them, provided, fed them, and many more. God had over demonstrated his love and what he could do on behalf of his people. Now, I don't know how long have you been walking with God. Could be a short time or a long time. But surely God has already manifested his power in your life. He has done that in the midst of your circumstances. He has already given you reasons to trust him. He has given you examples of what he can do. So, don't forget about that. Remember what God has done. When I first went to seminary, um, my, uh, Lloyd and my wife was already studying there, and I was used to work, and every 15 days I would get my paycheck, so everything, um, every responsibility that we had to pay, or I had to pay, I had taken that for granted. I don't remember uh, praying about uh, what should, what should I eat tomorrow, or how would I pay for bills? Everything was for granted because I was working. Then when we decided to get married and go to seminary, I had some savings, and we had some gift that we received at our wedding, and I thought that with that money, we would be able to live at least for six months. Well, what a surprise that after two months, we had zero money. We didn't have a fridge. We didn't have a washing machine. We didn't have many things. We only have a stove, but we didn't have propane. And when the semester finished, 
we were owing almost every single month of that semester. As suspected, I was worried. I was stressed and complaining, and I could, could not even sleep. Later that year, somebody suggested that I should start writing a journal, a diary where I would write everything God had done, everything that God had miraculously done in our favor. And then when the crisis would come again, I would go to that diary and remember that God had already worked on our favor so he could do it again. It's going to be now 10 years since we have been writing on this journal. And it's been a slow learning, but I know my faith has grown, and God still works today. Let us not forget what God has done. Let us not be ungrateful. God is not like us. He doesn't change. How are you building your trust in God with your family? Although faith is something personal, that is, one cannot say, my parents go to church and they pray with me or my spouse or my relatives. No, faith is personal. Our relationship with God is also personal. But as a family, we can also affirm and strengthen our trust in God through remembrance. Also, while we were at seminary, we decided to have Miguel Angel and we had zero income. But Miguel Angel has never lacked anything. We didn't have to buy a single diaper or a single dipe, um, wipe until he was five months old. If you're a parent, you know how many diapers and wipes a child needs. Child needs. And it's been the same with toys and with clothes, and it's been the same now with Lynn. The only thing I remember buying for him was a pair of socks. And then when I got home and Loida checked them, we realized that they were for girl. So the only thing I had to do, I did it wrong. We have told Miguel Angel about all these miracles God has done so that he knows that God has loved him even before he was born. Even my mother, who was very reluctant that I would go to seminary and leave my job and everything, in that time understood that it was God who sustained us. Share with your children, with your family, with your church, what God has done. Point number two, remember who God is. Who is God to you? What we can say about God are his attributes or his action, what he has done. But still we fall short to describe who God is. What we can say about God is what he has revealed about himself in the scriptures and we have experienced in our walk of faith. When we experience what the scriptures say about God, our faith is strengthened and is there with more confidence that we can say and affirm, God is my provider, God is my healer, God is my refuge and my strength. 
As I said in the previous point, surely you have already lived many things with God. And you have already seen glimpses of who God is and what he can do. But if you think that you have not experienced anything like this, ask God to manifest in your life. Or rather, that you may can recognize that he is working and active in your life. I remember one of my professors that I, I was telling him about all the miracles God has done. And he said, I have never lived something like that. We need to ask God to open our eyes to see what he is doing. If you think even now being on this side of the planet, it's a miracle with everything that is happening around us. The house you have, the family you have, the opportunity of going to school, everything is a gift from God. He has been acting, acting on your behalf. I believe that, believe that the best thing we can get, of, get out of crisis and suffering is the opportunity of knowing God more personally. Note that the psalm does not say that absolutely nothing will happen, but that amid the crisis, God is present and he is working. Sometimes we have been sold the idea that following Jesus means that we would not suffer, that everything is going to be okay. We would have to ask the apostles and the disciples, what do they think about this idea? We have experienced ourselves the crisis and suffering continues to come. But the difference now is that God is with us, that God is walking with us, that he lifts us, that he encourages, encourages and strengthens us in our walk. Do not waste your crisis and suffering. They are the perfect space to know who God is. And when, then when the crisis returns, your faith will be stronger and you will be more willing to learn from God. When I say do not waste your crisis, it is that if you are going to dedicate yourself to complain and worry, well, that's the only thing you're going to get from your crisis and suffering. But if you open your heart to what God wants to teach and reveal about himself, then you will have a great profit of your crisis and suffering. Remember who God is. Point number three. Develop a genuine fear of God. It Implicitly, this passage is also inviting us to fear not the circumstances, but to fear God. It might seem contradictory since we're talking about not having fear, but the fear of God has a broader meaning. We find this apparent contradiction in the same context of Exodus that we have already mentioned, but this time is when Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. Let's go back to Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke, they trembled with fear. 
they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God be with you, to keep you from sinning. The fear of God can be understood in the light of the Old Testament as reverence, respect, and honor. Fear of God means acknowledging Him for who He is and what, who, what is He like. It means amazement because He does not fit in our heads. It means sanctifying Him, which implies, on one hand, giving God his rightful place at the throne of our lives, in the center of our lives, and on the other hand, it means corresponding to his holiness with a life that reflects the character, personality, holiness of the God to whom we belong. Fear of circumstances, of people, of anything different from God can become idolatry. Because in our heart can become something greater than God. If we think that anything is outside of the reach of God, it can become idolatry, since it's replacing the place of God and then is becoming sin. So the psalmist invite us, invites us to fear God who is bigger and greater than anything that may come. He is bigger than any sickness or disease. He is bigger than COVID-19. He is bigger than a, than a family crisis. He is bigger than bankruptcy. God is bigger than any situation we could live. If you are afraid of your boss who pressures you to do these honest things with the threat of losing your job, of if, you're give, if you give in to bad proposals of your colleagues at work or your friends at school or at the college so they won't kick you out of, the circle, of their circle or if you are able to do improper things to maintain your status and your good grades, if you are able to do any of those things or similar things, you should evaluate your relationship with God. Or even you should evaluate who is your God. The last two verses, 10 and 11, summarize these three points we have just seen. First, there's an imperative from God. Be still, acknowledge that I am God. Do not behave like the anguished Israelites. You already know who I am and what can I do, what I can do. On the other and uh, we see that to this order, the psalmist responds what he has already been saying throughout the psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us. Our refuge is the God of Jacob. To finish, I want to leave you with the following thought. Just like the muscles, habits, sports, arts, and much more, faith must, must be exercised. 
I once read that one of the most dangerous things for your health is the uh, heavy weekend or occasional exercise because of the overload that can produce in the body because your body is not used to that. How do you expect to be steadfast in trusting God when, if, for example, you become, become unemployed if you are not thankful for the job you already have? When you go to the grocery store, when you're driving your car, when you're paying your bills, when you go home, when you're eating something you really like, when you're spending time with your family, are you intentionally being grateful for that? And what I mean intentionally is that are you recognizing, acknowledging that this is a gift from God? You might say, well, I have worked hard for this. But who gave you the opportunity of working hard? Who gave you the skills, the intelligence, the opportunity of going to school of, or having a business? It was God. How do we hope to trust God tomorrow if today we are complaining about what we so eagerly asked the Lord yesterday? In everything, no matter what or how small it might be, we must recognize and not forget the Lord's work. How do we hope to trust God tomorrow if today we are complaining about what we so eagerly asked the Lord yesterday? In everything, no matter how small it may be, we must recognize and not forget the Lord's work. His goodness, His mercy, His great grace, His love, so that when the crisis comes, we can confidently say, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The next day after I talked to Miguel Angel, we decided to show him some fun videos of how to get out a tooth in creative ways. So we saw videos of um, a bow and arrow, a uh, Nerf gun, and things like that. Uh, so he decided to tie his tooth with a string to his uh, remote car, a remote control car. So he by himself put the car in the edge of the stairs, and he drove the car down the stairs so it would pull his tooth he saw that it was really painful, and at the end, it was fun. And this is the result of that experience. Now Miguel Angel is eager and thinking about creative ways of taking out his neck, next tooth. We need to exercise our faith. And this psalm is a great invitation to trust the God who is present in our lives and who loves us and who never leaves us. Our God is faithful and he never changes. God is there with you today no matter where you are. You are not alone and God loves you.